0: Welcome to the Know Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. You are listening to this podcast because you want to support a worthy church, or because you just happen to like what I have to say sometimes, or because you're really bored and somewhere down the line, for some reason, you decided to subscribe to this podcast. Anyway, whatever your reason is, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're listening. This podcast episode is the proclamation of the word from this last Sunday. We've been covering the Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we're four chapters in now. We just This this particular one covers chapter four. And it seems kind of high-minded, but at the very end, I, I explain why it is so important to have the energy for these theological issues and what practical application it has and the implications it has um, for our culture today. So I don't want to do a spoiler alert. I, I want you to take the time to listen and then see where it ends up and how problematic it actually is that our culture has some truisms in place that fly in the face of the gospel. They sound like they would please Jesus, but actually they work against the good news that leads to Jesus. So um, I hope you take the time and the energy to, to read through this with us, understand it with us, and then go ahead and share your thoughts with me as to how the end hits you whenever we get to practical application. Thanks. Enjoy. Okay, so last week, chapter 3, we talked about how Jews and Gentiles, even though they have some different qualities, they're, they're basically the same in very important ways. Uh, so one, the first way they're the same is they're all born in sin, equally. Uh, yes, the Jews are God's chosen people. However, they are born in sin. They cannot do any good and pleasing works to God because they're drenched in sin from the moment they're born. That's all people across history. Everyone needs to be reborn, receive a new nature. And so uh, that's the second thing that we all have in common is um, the importance of faith for salvation. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you have to have faith to be saved. So we're gonna look more at what that means in chapter four. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on it because we've already established a lot of these themes and it, it, it gets much more exciting in chapters five, six, and seven. That's where the rubber really hits the road. But he's gonna make sure we understand today why it is that it is faith that saves the Jew and the Gentile, and it's not works, it's not the law. And remember, he's writing to a community where there are Gentiles and Jews, both in this Christian community, and there seems to be some tension between uh, the the Jews who say, we're God's chosen people, God has showed favor for us, we've an easier deal than you, and the Gentiles saying, no, we're all the same in Christ. Paul has been very clear Okay, Gentiles, your way of life is disgusting and you need to stop a number of practices that are rooted in idolatry and faithlessness. But you Jews, you're guilty of doing the same stuff. Bunch of hypocrites, you need to stop. You need to understand that you are no better than they are in God's eyes. The biblical phrase is God shows no partiality. God doesn't pick favorites. There's just those who obey and those who rebel. And that's really all there is to it biblically. So let's, let's look at chapter four. We're gonna talk about Abraham and David today both of whom were Hebrews in the Old Testament that pleased God. And so what was it about them that pleased God? That's what we're exploring here. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? That's the matter of salvation, the matter of uh, circumcision. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. He's, he's, he's making clear here, if you could really earn your way into God's kingdom, man, you would, that would be something worth bragging about, wouldn't it? You know? But even before God, you can't brag. There's nothing to brag about before God. It doesn't matter. This is a ridiculous hypothesis. There is nothing you can do to put God in your debt. There is nothing you can do to earn the salvation that he has extended to you. There is no price you can pay that's as precious as the blood of Jesus shed upon the cross. Nothing even comes close. You can try to earn your salvation, you will fail. And that's not a challenge of go ahead and do it. That's a you need to give up on yourself and give in to Christ Jesus. And that's what he exhorts us to do in this. Verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You'll see the quotation marks there. Now in the original Greek there was a quotation. He's clearly quoting from Genesis there. Uh, What is that, chapter 15, verses 6 and 22, it says the phrase, twice, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Why was Abraham considered righteous? Because he believed God. Now, was Abraham a sinner? Yes. Had he sinned before God? Did he sin after that? Yes. However, because he was in a faithful relationship with God, his sins were blotted over, and he was accounted righteous before God. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, to the one who works, Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation, right? If I'm working at Sonic and I put 12 hours in, the boss doesn't come to me and say, Oh, I really appreciate you. Here's a gift for you. No, it's here's what you're owed, right? Give me my money. I did the work. Give me my money. That is not how salvation works. You don't get to go up to God's judgment seat and go, uh, God, I, I worked all kinds of miracles in Your name, and I preached the good news, and I, I live my life according to Your word. I memorize so much Scripture, so give me that key. I'm coming in. You don't get to do that. It's a gift that He offers, not wages earned. There is no price you can pay. There is nothing you can put God in your. There's nothing you can do to put God in your debt. Um, let's see. We're in verse five. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness righteousness so the the some people lazy people will read this and go i guess i don't need to do anything do i i can yes the truth is you you can do nothing to earn your salvation even so good works proceed out of a grateful heart we're not earning our salvation we're showing our gratitude for it so this is not giving you license to sit on your salvation and do nothing with it rather it's making clear you can't earn it We need to be very clear on this. Um, And at the end today, we might get into this and go, what does this have to do with me? At the end of, I will tell you what this has to do with me and you. And it's it's a very deep strain in American life that needs to be corrected by the gospel. So pay attention. We'll get there. Verse 6. David says, so now we're not talking about Abraham. We're talking about King David, man after God's own heart, says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So this is not... Bless you, God, for rewarding the righteous. It's bless you, God, for not punishing the wicked, for blotting out our sins. This is what he says, verse 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So God forgives. He always has. He's always been known as a merciful and forgiving God. But who does God forgive? Sinners. Who is that? Me and you. Right on the front end of, of faith, There is always a mandatory acknowledgement that you and I were born in sin. And without Jesus, we're not going to be okay. That we need him. We need something outside of ourselves. It's not inside of me. I'm not born a special snowflake that is going to earn his salvation. I am born a sinner, wretched in my sins, and I need something supernatural to happen. Heaven and earth needed to move in order for my soul to be saved. That's what Christ did for me. So this is an acknowledgement. We are sinners, and we have transgressions. But we have a God who forgives transgressions. Can anybody say thanks be to God? Be to God. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Who's, who, what kind of people are circumcised? Jews. Is it just for the Jews or also for the uncircumcised? Gentiles. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Now, for those of us who haven't read Genesis recently, Abram—it was originally Abram, not Abraham. Abram was accounted as righteous in God's eyes before he was renamed to Abraham, father of many nations. Before he even had the children, before uh, 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 Ishmael was even born, he was only circumcised on the same day that Ishmael was born, and well, I guess eight days afterwards, when Ishmael was was circumcised, that's when Abraham, Abraham was. But he was credited as righteous before God when he was uncircumcised, when he was, by all accounts, a Gentile. So does that matter? Yes. It was not after, but before, he says in verse 10. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he's making the case God can be pleased with the person who is uncircumcised, God can account someone is righteous who is not a Jew. And in fact, the father of the Jews, Abraham, they all trace their roots back to him and they say, we're children of Abraham, we're special. First off, uh, 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 John says God out of these rocks can make children to Abraham. You're not as special as you think you are. But two, anyone who is children of faith is children of Abraham because belief, faith, is the same thing. Abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. So when you and I believe we are children of Abraham, it's going to say that flat out here in a minute. All right. um, Is it so then? Yeah, I'm just going to start over at verse 11. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So who here is a Gentile? You're all Gentiles, if you didn't know this. Well, unless you're Jewish, I don't know of any of you being Jewish. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And if you believe in Christ, then Abraham is your father because he is the father of faith. The faith that you share in is the same faith that saves Abraham, that saves all true believers. It pleases the Lord. The end. Except I'm going to keep talking. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So once again, remember he said, if you're circumcised and you don't believe, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It doesn't count for anything. However, if you believe, you've received circumcision of the heart, and that's the circumcision that matters. So he's saying, if you believe and you're a Gentile, then that's great. Abraham's your father. If you believe and you're a Jew, that's great. Abraham's your father. He's the father of faith. Anybody ever heard that song? Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord, right arm. You, you use the body parts at different times, it's a silly song, but the whole point is you and I are children, sons of Abraham. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise. Now remember, anytime in the Bible it's talking about the law, it's not talking about ancient Roman law, it's not talking about American law, it's talking about the first five books of the Bible really, ancient Hebrew law, the law of God given up Mount Sinai. It's saying, um, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Remember, the, the, the law hadn't even been written down in the days of Abraham. He, he was not carrying the Torah around studying it. It's not studying the Bible that saved him. It's not studying the Bible that saves you and me. It's only saving faith that does it. He's making clear, the Jews, yes, they have the law. The law doesn't save verse 14 for if those who depend on the law are heirs faith means nothing and the promise is worthless so he's saying if the law does save then what are we doing this belief thing for let's just you know make the little checklist of the law and tick off each one and then we've earned our salvation right that's that's what you get that's the kind of religion you get when faith is not the centerpiece verse 15 because the law brings wrath and where there is no law there is no transgression now there are some people who read that and they go, man, well, if God hadn't given us the law, we would, none of us would be damned. We wouldn't be able to transgress the law if we didn't know it, right? That's what it seems to say here. Remember chapter one, he says, God's law has been made evident to everybody through his wonders all around us, all the natural world. Everybody is rightly condemned for not conforming to God's law. His law has been made clear from the beginning of the ages. Now it did get written down for the Jews, which is a wonderful benefit and blessing. However," It's also a curse because they get to see the scans showing they have terminal cancer and there's nothing they can do about it. We Gentiles, we don't have the scans. We just know something's wrong. The Jews had the detailed uh, medical report. This is a metaphor I used last week and I like it and I'm sticking with it. They just know more about their damnation than Gentiles do naturally. But all of us are condemned outside of that saving faith. That's what's going on here. Verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. It doesn't come by the law, it comes by faith. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. So he says it's by grace. It's not, you're not earning it. Grace is the free, unearned gift of God. He's saying it's through that that we receive faith. It's not through anything we earn. And in case it's clear, or just so it's clear, some of us might think we're pretty smart and that we chose Jesus. And that's not actually what happened. Jesus chose you. He gave you the faith that you have and you use. But don't ever be confused. It's not because you're so smart you chose Jesus. It's because he's so good he chose you. And then you get to choose him back. That's actually what happened. And the flow of these things matters. If you think that your faith started with you, you're going to be kind of cocky. You're going to be like, you know, he was saying, if Abraham earned his faith, he would have something to brag about. No, none of us earned any of this. God gave it to us as a free gift we couldn't earn. So that's what makes our hearts glad, grateful. I'm not here because God loves me any more than for anything that I've done. I'm no better than anybody else. He shows no favoritism. He, out of his gracious mercy, granted me the faith that I now have and get to use. All right. He is the father of us all. It's still talking about Abraham. Abraham is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Why is he talking about that? God created all things, if you've read Genesis 1, through his powerful word. He called into things into being that were not. He raised Jesus up from the dead. These are miracles, right? These are not things that happen according to natural law. God has performed miracles, that's his bread and butter. That's that's what he does. That's the kind of God we serve. And there are a lot of people who know that their sins are bad and they say, God can't save me. And those people don't know how powerful God is. They have no idea how powerful God is. Not only can he save you, but because of what Jesus did, it's easy. It couldn't be done before Jesus. Jesus did something nobody knew was possible. He broke the laws of justice so that sinners like you and me might be welcome in the kingdom. It is the most scandalous thing that's ever happened in history. Verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. Is this saying that old people are just about dead? Yes, it is. It is not politically correct. (laughs) And that Sarah's womb was also dead. This lady was way past menopause. God said, by Sarah, I'm going to build a nation out out of you. And he believed God. Now, that's a pretty stupid thing to believe, isn't it? It is if God weren't the one saying he would do it. God is powerful enough to bring new life to a dead womb new life to a dead sinner like me. Remember, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's what God has done. He speaks things into existence that are not. He brings things into life that are dead just by the power of his word. Verse 20, Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Guys, do we live in an era where miracles have ceased? Where God doesn't do miracles anymore? Is that the time in history? No, God is every bit as powerful as he's always been. He's working wonders everywhere. At all times. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Do we have a heart that believes it? Verse 22 this is why it was credited to him as righteousness the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us to whom god will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised jesus our lord from the dead so he's connecting all these stories were told in the bible about abraham about david about jesus all of those are about them yes they're about us too they tell us how salvation works they tell us how our salvation works How it is that you and I can be confident that we are saved. And we're confident that we're saved because the same God who saved Abraham saves us the exact same way through faith, not works. If it's through works, we really need to be anxious because we got to do just the right things or we won't get in, right? But it's not about works. It's about faith. The one true faith delivered to the saints contained in God's holy word. It's not the word that saves us. It's the faith that the word points to that saves us. Last verse. I think, right? Verse 25? Yeah. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It's talking about Jesus there, right? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that last phrase again, starting in verse 23, just so we end on a cohesive note. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The story about Jesus is a story about us. Everything that happened on the cross, before it, after it, has everything to do with our salvation. And that's why we're a thankful people. Now, the the very practical thing that this all connects to it's a, it's a, it's a vein in American thought that is very problematic. It's this idea, you'll hear people say things like, oh, he's a really good guy, or she's a really good gal, or people will talk about themselves and say, I'm not that bad a guy. This kind of notion of good and bad people. You know, Susanna, uh, me and the kids will watch, we'll watch movies and we were watching a movie yesterday where it wasn't clear who the good guys and the bad guys were. And she said, wait, wait, I thought they were the bad guys. Are they the good guys? And I said, they're all the bad guys we're all the bad guys you know we like our stories the world likes these stories of good guys and bad guys the bible story is we're all the bad guys the guy who's who's defending somebody over here and shooting the bad guy he's the bad guy and the bad guy's a bad guy and the good guy's a bad guy we're all the bad guys there is only one good one time a guy came up to jesus didn't know he was the son of god called him good teacher what must i do to have eternal life and jesus said why do you call me good there's only one good and it's god Jesus had that clarity, so if you think I'm being a wet blanket right now, Jesus was the same, so if you don't like what I'm saying, you don't like Jesus, all right, and yes, he was kind of a wet blanket because people like to believe that they can be good on their own, don't they, and so they create this notion of good guys and bad guys, man, some people, they really need some prayer, other people, they're basically okay, right, Jesus said a physician doesn't come For the well, he comes for the sick. Likewise, I did not come for the righteous. I came for sinners. And what is required is for you and I to understand we're the sinners. We're the bad guys. We're the ones who's so bad that Jesus had to die on the cross to cover up our sins. And we can get down in the dumps about that. Or we can let the story finish and go, what Jesus did on the cross was powerful enough to pay the price for my sins. And now I am accounted as righteous before God because I have been adopted as a child of Abraham. I'm a brother and co-heir with Christ of the kingdom. I have been made worthy despite my sin to enter into the pearly gates and receive everlasting life alongside the, 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 the saints of all the ages. It is a scandalously good message. You and I, when, when we think about it, we have no cause to be sad, to feel sorry for ourselves, To go through our lives complaining and grumbling. We have been so immeasurably blessed. We could spend all of our lives just praising God. It wouldn't be enough. We'll be spending all of eternity praising God. It won't be enough. That's how good this good news is. So let me return back to the guilt trip I gave uh, over the, the, the prayer earlier. This news really is the best news anyone can tell. And we don't know who has much time. If there's someone in your life who does not know the good news does not know that what christ accomplished on the cross was enough to cover up their sins and make them worthy of the kingdom you need to tell them it is the best news they will ever hear now if they don't hear it as good news that's fine but that's like somebody who hears about the birth of a baby and goes i don't care about that they're just a monster right and that's who you are if what jesus did on the cross doesn't affect you if you don't receive it as good news you're a monster if someone you tell uh uh, is not impacted by that they're a monster But the thing is, Christ died for monsters like us, right? So give that good news and have no shame whatsoever. Amen.